Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, do you like books? A classic literature fan and a writer get together every month to chat about what books they've been reading and in the interview authors. Their podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you can find podcasts. The podcast is called Book Boys. So if you like books and you like listening, hearing them review their books, go to Book Boys and the link will be in the description below. Check them out. And my guest today is a good friend of mine, Jonathan Richard Richard Udbia. Uh, so thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me, I guess. Uh, so we're going to talk about a kind of a personal, I suppose, just topic today, because this, is a hap- this actually happened pretty close to where we live, almost right by where we live. It's called the Battle of Sticklista. And uh, what is it about this battle that makes you so... That makes it so interesting and fascinating. Well, uh, for us, I, I mean, like nationally for Norway, it's the uh, uh, where, say, Olaf, Olaf Haraldsson, Olaf II of Norway, uh, met his martyrdom and uh, became the only saint uh, canonized in Scandinavia ever. Um, so that, that's like pro- from a national perspective. As Norwegian, he is, uh, you know, Sancti Olavus Rex Norvegica Partveutum. He's the internal king of Norway. Um, he, uh, and uh, as you say, on a personal level, you, you've been there. You're, you know, whenever you grow up close to the event, where something happened, you know, because museums will show up there, you know, that, that there will be something that, to commemorate. It's a certain but, pride. Yeah, no, no, it's not really about pride, but if you have like the 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 uh, so the sort of if you are acceptable to that knowledge, like if you have that interest, you uh, you, you can't really like read any book about any piece of history you want, of course, and these days, like, you got Wikipedia, but uh, it, there's always, like, you can go there and talk with some people who already know a lot about it, uh, and you can t- talk back and forth, you can ask your questions, you can get your answers, and so it, you end up knowing a lot about it, which means you can talk to people who know even more about it, and it, you know, um, and, and so you get a rolling ball going from there, don't you? And, and uh, suddenly you, you, you find yourself a bit of a history nerd. And yeah, it's a story of my life. Um, you and me both. <laughs> so, so uh, 
Yeah, of course we we don't begin, and uh, I want I want to ask you because uh, he first because I wanted to know before the Battle of Sticks because he just kind of banished from Norway. So why why does where does he go and where does he find the army to return to Norway? Yeah, he he was banished uh, because he tried to defy uh, the philosophy. Uh, he tried to make. Christianity by law, like every Norwegian citizen, have to be Christian. It was either that or get their head head cut off. Yeah, basically, and, and it, it has to be said, he was the third king to try this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Hakon the Good gave up uh, because uh, the Frostating had. About like a third of the fleet of Norway was under the Earl of Lade and under the Frostating. And um, about a third of the fleet in all of the country lay under this one uh, nobleman. And uh, uh, so Hagen the Good gave up. Um, Tyrkvason did not. He killed the Earl of Lade and was then killed by his son in return. Um, and uh, Olaf came up, like, go at it again. Um, and he was thrown out of the country. He was, you know, banished from the country. And he went to his brother-in-law, Yaroslav of Kiev. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole Kiev. How does it convince him to help him out in the cross for the Christianity. Well, remember, like, hey, the, the, the Kievan Rus were Christian, like heavily Christian. Um, the, the, the whole uh, trade with like the sounds and stuff had already uh, Christian them to a very so, sort of heavy degree. And um, uh, so, so they, they saw eye to eye there, and uh, it, Olaf showed up with an army in Kiev, right? And uh, Yaroslav put him to good use. He, he basically, like, all right, my brother-in-law shows up, and he's got an army with him. Well, right, I've got enemies across the river here. Uh, you want to join me for a little walk? Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, so he... he, he basically spent two years fighting for his brother, uh, a brother-in-law in Kiev. And um, he, uh, he, he gained like a lot of respect there. Um, and he gained a following of well, basically mercenaries uh, and like hardened men from uh, the Kievan campaigns there. So, so he actually ended up with a bigger army than he started with. Um, and uh, so it, it came to the point where, like, uh, there were some political turmoil in Norway again, uh, because you know historically Norwegians couldn't agree, uh, like, what's for breakfast without you know drawing swords and killing each other. Um, and uh, so he decides, well, I'm going to go back and take back my kingdom. And so, so he sails up the rivers and he, he, he 
gathers up another bunch of mercenaries on the way, and he, you know, uh, he marches across uh, what's today Jämtland in Sweden, and he, you know, brings a lot of those with him, uh, and uh, goes into Norway and uh, try to like recapture his kingdom. Uh, of course, he, he he totally messes it up, but uh, uh, that's another part of the story. Um, so so uh, is the country divided at this point? Is it half like Norse mythology? Is it the other half Christian, or is it, does it have somewhat support no, here? Yeah, no, no, no. It, it is very much predominantly Christian at this point, and. So, so the most of the men who faced him on the battlefield in at Stiklestad were already having Christian. Right? Uh, that that's not really what this was about. It it, it was uh, like this part of Norway had like um, your home is your castle mentality thingy. Um, they said, like, no man can force you to do anything you don't want, as long as, as long as you're not going directly against the law, you can do whatever you want at home, on your land, your home. You your rules. You. Yeah, yeah, your rules. You do you, right? Um, so coming in there and saying, right, um, we... That you you have to be Christian. Right? You have to worship Jesus Christ and God and the saints at home. Uh, that is a direct violation of that. Like no man could come here and tell me what to believe. Um, and then there's a the second part of it, which is like a small clause in the Protestant law that says any king that goes against the law, the the farmers are obliged to kill him. Uh, so how did all of Dorian's law? Was it because he did force everyone to become Christian and worship Christ? Yeah, but, but basically, he, he, he was forcing people to do things like in their own land, in their own homes, against their wish. Like doing that is against the law. Uh, and, you know, he can't come here and tell him that. He's an elected king, right? We didn't have like, you know, because he's his son. He... he uh, he's automatically king. No, we we like we have the family that provides kings, but we we, we elect the best one, mm. right? Uh, we we elect the hardest. We we elect the you know the guy with the shiniest uh, moustache or whatever. We felt like electing at that particular time, but it had a tendency to be the guy who had a very good reputation for chopping a lot of heads off. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, he was elected, uh, but once he was elected, it was for life. So how do you, you know, dispose of this elected king? Well, you chop his head off. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so this particular piece of legislation combined with the fact that Trundlag at that point in time was economically and militarily extremely powerful 
as a region. Uh, you get you get the same thing with like Normandy in France, right? Where you have like one province in the kingdom that can challenge the king himself. Uh, and basically, Trøndelag was that for Norway. Trøndelag is the area where Stiklestad is, just for reference. Yeah, it's like Stiklestad is smack in the middle of uh, Trøndelag, and um, so uh, he came back, and he he basically rolled the dice when he came back, didn't he? Because he could have like gone back to the south where he had greater support. Mm. Uh, but he also probably were worried about like interference from the Danes and the Swedes if he had gone down south, right? He would have to pass Sweden and Denmark mm. uh, with his So did he come in by, his, by the fjord? If he, he, no, he didn't. He, he, he landed his ships in Sweden, in Jämtland, mm. oh, yeah. which, well, which wasn't Sweden. Uh, back then, my my style Jämtland was an independent region uh, back then, and he marches across his army across Jämtland, uh, probably scaring the shit out of the local rulers there. Um, but of course, it's not after them. He, he's he's going over the mountain. He's going to, to take back, and he strikes towards the heart of his enemy. He he's going towards. Um, like the market regions of uh, Trondheim, because we already know that there was a fledgling town in Levanger, right south of Stiklestad, which was a market location. It was, it was a place where you could safely harbor your ships. I was like, well, that is actually what Levanger means, it's a safe harbor. Um, and um, uh, so, so he he was going for like the economical heart of his enemy, right? Mm. Uh, and from there, there is a rather quick march down to Lada, which is like and Frosta, uh, both of which are south, which are like the political and powerhouse uh, places. So, uh, yeah, had he been able to like take it, take a stronghold, all that, but of course he was, he was told off. Uh, a, a lot of people on this side of um, the mountains were married to families in Jämtland. Uh, and so riders came over the mountains before the king and his army, which actually have to move slower because he has to provide for an entire army. Um, the riders came over and then so like, well, it, you remember that king you threw out? Well, he's in our place now and he's coming here. Um, and uh, well, so by the time they, uh, he came, they had had the time to call in the laydom, which is like every farm has to provide a soldier in the local area. And they had time to call in the ships rating, uh, which is like every part of the coastline along a larger area sends a ship. 
in addition to the ships that they did and the Leyden, a lot of lesser ships and private ships were shipped out as well. Um, we, we, we know that like certain sheets, like, um, or, um, or the uh, came in a private ship. Mm -hmm. it, like he, he was of the king's family and he was most certainly rich enough and like powerful enough to have his own private longship. Uh, and so he, so he came in his own private longship with his men, um, in addition to the ships that are around him, uh, that followed him. Um, and uh, yeah, Turin of Björke, like he probably had his own long ships. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they came from Murder, they, they came from uh, Fulsen and Olsen, they, they came from Hålögon, uh, they, they came from like all the way from, from Lofoter uh, down to like Rumstarn, and they, they just, all the ships sailed into the fjord. And um, it was said that like, there were so many masts um, from the ships lining the fjord that it looked like a forest. Uh, and so there came as many um, uh, men by ship as the, the, the locals could have gathered from the farms locally in Trudelag. Is this where Torehun uh, come in or is it later? Torehun comes sailing because he's from the whole area. His Bjerke is uh, up north. Um, and who was he? Torehun was uh, uh, like a local chieftain or like he became one rather. Um, and uh, uh, he, he was um, from a family who had a long-standing feud with the king. Um, he had been denied to buy grains down south in the king's land. Um, and uh, there had been murders back and forward. Uh, you know, the, the, the um, uh, spare that uh, his mother gives him and orders him to kill the king with um, is a spare that was pulled out of his brother's body. Uh, so lovely yeah right it, it, it's like it, it's that kind of uh background history right so Turhund is showing up with a grudge like a fuck ton of grudge and the same a lot of the northerners do right because like Olaf had been coming down on the northerners hard so uh you have like Tushtein Knorrisme who was a boat builder and uh, you know, the, the finest ship he ever built, he kept for himself. Uh, but uh, when Olaf saw it, he said, oh, that's like such a beautiful ship, I'll take it. Thank you very much. Uh, and he basically <laughs> confiscated his ship. So he's there with a grudge. <laughs> this was right. like a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a lot of these Northmen that came and uh, like it, it is like specified in the the, the sagas like the, the northmen they show up with a shitload of more ships than they have to like because when the radar signal comes out they the 
they had to send a certain amount of ships that they had to have, but they didn't just send those ships. They, they sent every ship, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And they, they, this is a part of Norway. They survived by fishing. So yeah, they, they sent a lot of ships, <laughs> like anything that could float that far down south. Uh, does Olaf have any supporters at all in Norway or have he lost completely? Because it doesn't sound like he got too many supporters. He does have supporters. Uh, he does. And, and especially like, um, but his supporters are in uh, the western parts of Norway and in uh, inland, the upland and uh, stuff on the other side of the mountains. So reaching them is hard. Right. Uh, either he has to do like an impossible trek through forest and mountains uh, to reach uh, in London, or he has to um, uh, sail uh, uh, past Sweden and Denmark to reach the Western Norway. Which would take forever. And one thing is that it would take a lot of time but he would be vulnerable to attacks from both the Swedish and Danish kings, none of which had any good reason to like him, um, especially not the Danish king uh, at that time. Um, and uh, so he, he was in a situation where, you know, um, he could risk being like cornered and defeated by other kings before he could even reach home base, as it were. So, so instead he takes a, you could say that it's a small force to try this. Uh, and it turns out it's a you know, way too small force. But you gotta remember, he's got a lot of veterans with him, right? And, Veterans count for something back then, especially like the guys from his personal hirid and stuff that have been following him, that those guys would have been armored, they would have been well-armed, and they have fought like dozens of battles. They are battle-hardened veterans in armor, uh, and they are ready to kick all sorts of ass left and right in the name of the king. Um, so he, he has a small force, but he has a hard one in his own account. And he pads it up like with, with people from Jamtland and stuff that he recruits uh, as he goes over the mountains. And um, yeah, um, his chances were slim. The moment word came from Jamtland that the king was on his way, the, the moment he didn't beat that messenger over the mountain, he basically lost, I think. It is, um, he tried to play that game where he recruited the people of Jamtland, where he he got probably one of them over on his side, so but, but probably the saga doesn't mention uh, who 
is where this message comes from. Where, where, where does it come from? Does it see that? Does it see the messenger going across? Do they have a chance to kill him before we wouldn't that? No, be probably right? not. I mean, it, it could be like anybody, right? And mm. uh, it, it's um, I, a, lo a lot of Olaf sagas afterwards is mythologized, right? Mm. Of course. Uh, especially like the events going up to his martyrdom and stuff. Um, that's, a, that, that, that's a saying, like, you know, the, the, the King's sagas written by Snudger. Mm. Uh, a lot of them are quite good because he goes by the Skaldic verses, right? Um, it, but there are two of them that you cannot trust. Uh, one is St. Olaf's, and the other is King Sverdis. Uh, you cannot trust King Olaf's saga because he was yeah. saved, right? And it's a spies. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 can't, you can't say anything bad against the saint. And you can't trust King Sverdis' saga because King Sverdis was basically standing over uh, Snudis' shoulder when he was writing that mm. saga. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, he definitely made sure, like, put in a good word about me, like, that. yeah, yeah, no, 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 the wind was much stronger than that. Yep, it picked up a man, blew him into the mountainside, and it broke his back in three places. And I was standing and doing a heroic pose, thank you very much. Um, so you have, like, the whole mythological thingy where like Olaf and his bishop talks to Odin. Like that that's like I don't think Olaf and his bishop ever talk to like <laughs> the the king of the uh, Norse gods. Uh, uh, you know the part where he suddenly fights trolls. Uh, I, I thought of that that happened. Uh, at least I would be very, very surprised if we found any archaeological evidence that Olaf ever fought trolls. Uh, not that the fantasy nerd in me would be absolutely <laughs> delighted if we found, <laughs> you know, evidence of Olaf fighting trolls. Um, but yet, all in all, uh, a lot of the sagas as written later and stuff cannot really be trusted in and all of so, so we, we sort of have to go a bit on conjecture here. We, uh, and what little we can find of archaeological evidence, and and of course we have to go by the like the two or three different sagas and texts written about it. And where do they concur, right? Where where do they what, where do does it all fall together? And that's where you try to find the nuggets and pieces right. of things happening. Uh, probably true. Uh, so, yeah, uh, probably some family member uh, living on the Swedish side uh, of the mountain with family in Norway rode over Poland, uh, King's Cup. Sorry, oh, yeah. get ready. And uh, get ready, they did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so here, I think something, another key character we need to mention is his brother, or better known as Harad, Haradra. Oh yeah. Uh, does it bring him alone? A lot, sorry, does it bring him alone? Or does he, is it, does it come afterwards a little bit? I mean, in... Harald Haradra was, uh, he was 14 at this point, And he was already like impossible to negotiate with, uh, like, 
deal with. Um, but Olaf himself apparently was sent out of the you know country and went to battle as a twelve-year-old, which was like that was a thing, uh, and it was. I mean, people got married at twelve at that time. Didn't that, but, but, but like it was especially a thing for the royal family, right? Because if you wanted to be someone, like you can become king. But if you want to become a king, you have to be proved that you're worthy. You need a military king. glory. You need military. Yeah. So, so, so like his campaigns in England uh, and all that, like shit that leads up to his uh, baptism in Iran and all that. Um, his, he has. Um, Olaf has gone through it himself, uh, and he sort of brings his brother along because you know, hey, you you, you need some of this as well. You, you you need experience. You need like you you need to be seen as. And Harold is ready for it. Like Harold is fourteen years old. He's full of spunk, and like any good fourteen-year-old, he's absolutely convinced he's immortal. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, he he. He actually has to be like dragged from the battlefield <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Olaf puts a couple of his hitmen in charge of like, right, if this goes south, if this goes sour, uh, get my brother out of here. And they basically have to like grab Harold uh, and like more or less pull him off the battlefield. Spoiler alert, Olaf dies, by the way. Yeah, already wounded. <laughs> like, Harold, the king's brother, is already wounded. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to go get... No, nope, you're not. Come here, lad. <laughs> you're coming with us. Um, so, yeah, uh, th th that's the start of Harold Harvard's saga. Uh, yeah, let's go. We go to, go to the main battle itself, of course, eventually. But yeah. I, wa I want to get... But so we talked about a few key characters in oh. in this battle. But so he goes there there to Nor turn the night it's sure it gets opposed. What happens mm -hmm. then? Well, um the the uh, there's this is not a couple of characters I actually feel it's worth mentioning. It's uh, a, a, a pair of brothers, the Amazon brothers, Finn and Cull, uh separately, because it appears from the little bit we can like glean from like the farmer's side of things in the sagas and stuff that you you had um the northmen who were like very anti-olaf at this point right uh and uh th they were like yeah we're gonna kill him we we, we gotta kill him dead like we gotta make sure, um, and uh, then you know. Um, on the other side, you have Calvarnison, who's given his fiefdom in Trøndelag was given to him by the king's hand, and he knows that his brother is marching with the king's army. Uh, so, if he leads his men into this battle. Uh, 
A, he might become a kin killer, right? Mm. Uh, or he might, you know, kill the leech lord that gave him his fiefdom. But, like, no matter how this goes, it sucks for him, right? Like his reputation, his standing takes a hit. Um, and, but he, he sort of like, he can't, he can't accept Olaf back because like the laws of the land that, it, that he's now like the liege lord over uh, says that he, he's, he's in exile, he's cast out. So, but it like appears that it's like, he might be more of the like, oh, we just tell him to bugger off again. <laughs> Mm. Like, no, no, sorry, we're close. Turn around, go back. Um, and uh, like somewhere in the middle here, you find uh, the, the guy called Hordik of Shatta. And Hordik of Shatta is of royal blood himself. Right? He is of the same family as the king. Um, so he's a distant relative. And he's a powerful leader and he's a powerful politician. In fact, he's seldom mentioned, but he was the leader of, of like the Norwegian army facing the king. They, they chose him to lead them. Um, and of course, in the end, like Olaf didn't turn back. Olaf came, the, the peasants came out and they showed him, like, well, right, we outnumber you two to one. What are you going to do about it? Uh, but he didn't pull back. He didn't, like, he stood his ground. And so the battle happened. Uh, and, yeah, um, he, he, he came down from the mountains. Uh, and it is uh, believed that there was a, uh, like, local chieftain, uh, seat at a place called Hoag in Bardo. Uh, and so, so it's very logical to assume that like they, they would have met at Hoag um, the chieftains that came uh, from all over Trundlag, from the north, from everywhere else they would have met at Hoag in that chieftain's seat uh, and the armies would have been arrayed around uh, and the, the, apparently the, the, they had arguments of like who gets to bring their banners where, um, especially like the bit um, where who gets to bring their banners against Olaf directly, who, who gets to bring his banner like up against the king's banner. Um, and uh, so, sort of it basically seems to be like Maybe sort of keeping Northmen in line <laughs> because they they they're, they're out for blood. They're paying for blood, right? So so um, but they come up with ideas. They they come up with an actual battle plan, and it's a good battle plan. What's so, the plan? Uh, so the battle plan is basically uh, to to sort of try to provoke an attack from the king's army, uh, fall back. Uh, the center of your own army and then use your superior numbers to envelop 
the smaller king's army. Uh, and it's basically what happens in the battle. Uh, the king has taken higher ground with his battle hardened army. And if I remember correctly, the sun is against the king as they go down, so the our peasant army has the advantage. Somewhat, but, but it, it is uh, how hard an advantage this is or disadvantage. We don't know because no one's like specified time of day and stuff. But he's, he's still up, he has high ground. Um, until it's over so, pest inside of the high ground. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, <laughs> give up, Obi Wan. I've got a high ground. Um, I give up Anakin. That's the one. That's the meme. Um, but he, he was. Uh, uh, they, they were provoked. The, the king's army was actually provoked to attack downhill. Uh, and the, the, uh, the uh, farmers uh, paid flee. And uh, then they reformed their shield walls in a position where they now were like attacked from at least three points. Uh, so the king's army was developed and by all accounts, the battle from there on was extremely swift. I, mean, I think we talked about it the last time we met a few years ago, but I think you said it lasted something like 15 minutes and no more uh, and like, less. People like thinking like from the, like the, the two sides actually physically met. Uh, the consensus is it, it was like somewhere between five and 15 minutes. There's like, because they they taunted the king's army down, enveloped it, and then they just went smack for his bow. They they, they would have had their own treatment, like people like Horikov Shetta would have that, uh, Turin of Bjarke would have, and like other chieftains as well would have their own battle-hardened veteran guards, right? So they enveloped the king's army with their army of farmers uh, uh, and like basically immobilized the majority of the king's army uh, with this greater numbers. And then they take their own veterans uh, and they just smack it straight against the king's banner. They just... <laughs> um, now, uh, something uh, I want to ask you before we go on, what, what kind of weapons did you use? Because I feel like that's important because, you know, we like to add this in Vikings, the, the, everyone used for in Viking movies, right? But the, that wasn't really that common back then, was it? And these, well, farm, these farmers were rich men, so what kind of weapons oh, did they were. use? So, some of them were rich men. Some of them, but I not all of them. No, no, no. Uh, so, like, by that time, like 1030 is right at the end of what, like internationally at least, is known as the Viking Age, you know, uh, very like Anglo Saxon uh, history that, uh, where it's uh, counted from Linda's farm to uh, Hastings. But um, the, um, the uh, sword becomes more and more prevalent on the battlefield uh, throughout the entire Viking period. They, they become more and more normal. Like more it's and more not common. just a rich man's weapon anymore. Uh, 
not just the Richmond, like at least like the Hitman and uh, um, uh, as well as some of the rich farmers would have one. Um, and you start, because at this point in time, you start to, to, to see soldier salt, right? Mm. Because uh, like in the eighth century and stuff like that, you, you have like swords that are very, very gilded. <laughs> when you have a sword, it's always with like silver and gold and lots of bling and shit mm. uh, on, on their uh, tanks and, and their pummels and stuff. Um, but right up here, like the end of the Viking Age, you're starting to see swords that, like the, uh, the tang, um, the guard, the pummel, all of it is like, it's just steel. It is just, you know, tempered good steel. This is a soldier's sword. Um, and so some of those, like, veteran hardened guardsmen that, like, clash in the middle there would probably have something like that. Um, but by and large, the main weapon is spears. Um, in addition to that, about a quarter of them uh, would have put away the spears in favor of a bow. And uh, a, a lot of the, but like archeological evidence, like Norwegian U-bows uh, around that time is uh, about 80 pound draw weight, um, which is like, it doesn't sound so much because you're, you're, you're used to hearing about like Battle of Agincourt and the British war bow at 160 pound draw weight. You got to remember the English war bow met knights in plate mail. Now, no one on that battlefield had anything more fancy than chain mail going on. So, an 80 pound bow will punch through that chain mail like it isn't even there. Um, so uh, bows and spears are the main weapons. Uh, but how long were the spears? Because they, in, in especially in movies and in like historical general, they portrayed as long. But they were, were they really that long, or were they shorter than uh, what we think like, they are? There, there is a law in Norway from the Viking Age uh, stating like like each farm. Uh, had to be able to show that it had weapons to send a man to defense the, the country, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the law. Uh, and so you had to have a shield, you had to have either a sword or an axe, um, and uh, uh, you had to have a spear or a bow. Um, and it, it was elected locally in each region who the bowmen were. Like, like everyone knew who was a good shot, right? Um, so if you had a spear, the shaft of the spear has to be so long that the iron of the spear uh, starts above your head. So the steel starts above your head. Um, so the, the shaft needs to be longer than you. Mm. Uh, but by like uh, a smidge, basically. So, um, and then you add a foot of steel 
on top of that. Mm-hmm. So how does Olaf die? Because it's kind of grotesque the way yeah, he dies. He, and he, he, he's a rich man. He does kind of decent armor at, at, at least. Yeah, so he, how he does, does unwritten, this is Toda Hun we're talking about killing him, right? So well, according to legend. So how does he, does he kill him? Toda Hun is like the, the guy the church wants you to remember killing him. Uh, I say the greatest glory should go to Torstein Kneidersman. Uh, because he's the guy who like barges through Olaf's head and actually lands the first blow on the cake. But he dies at the battle. Right? He's killed uh, almost immediately after uh, planting his axe in the king's knee, uh, right below his chainmail. So another thing I want to ask before we go on: Did Olaf already lose the battle at, at this point? Or were, oh yeah, he, he was already losing the battle at this point. Uh, but uh, so so at this point, he, he gets is like a big burly shipbuilder uh, comes and. and puts his axe in the king's knee. Uh, that shipbuilder is killed, but of course the king falls, uh, which would have caused quite a bit of panic, I should assume, in the king's ranks, which of course then would have um, uh, enforced the push of the farmers that like are now pushing in there. Um, at this point, because Olaf is lying on the ground, uh, but he has, like, as you said, a good chainmail uh, on him. So Thorduhum comes with his spear and he lifts the chainmail uh, skirt and he skewers him uh, from below uh, up into the abdomen. Uh, and then uh, Kulv comes and he takes his axe and he drives it in uh, to Olaf's neck. So which of those two wounds were the most fatal? Uh, I don't know, probably both of them were. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, at that point, you know, the battle is over. It's now routes. Olaf's army is fleeing um, and uh, to some bigger, greater or lesser degrees, they're being pursued and uh, stuff like that. Um, and the battle has been lost for all of us. But uh, Seiki has become a martyr um, in the eyes of the Catholic Church, at least. So how does it become a martyr, announce a martyr? Because he would seem to be quite disliked, as you put it, by the Norwegian people. So how, how do, does he become a saint? How does he become pronounced a martyr, a martyr and a saint? Well, uh, part of it is like uh, the church wants uh, uh, like a guiding figure uh, to uh, be like the beacon. Uh, and banner to like flock people to Christianity for Norway. Um, you you got to remember, like the, the few times during this time period when Norway actually managed to keep itself together and be at peace with itself, 
they were actually a force to be reckoned with out in Europe and stuff as well because we had such an enormous fleet. Um, so uh, they want like Norway to be Christian, proper Christian. Um, and that's part of it. Uh, and a couple of years after Olaf's death, uh, politics changed again. Uh, the and as legends, I don't know if this was because of the play, I don't remember, but the legends say that his hair grow, his nails grow. Yeah, uh, that, that, that is actually like uh, something that can happen to dead bodies uh, if there's like they're, they're in the process of being mummified, naturally, if he's been stored somewhere very uh, dry and stuff. But of course, back then it would have been oh, more yeah. fun. Marvelous. Yeah, because it's it's not actually the hair or the like uh, nails growing, it's actually the like the skin and stuff receding around it, so it appears to have grown. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, he he, he a, a couple of years after uh, Danish king is like trying to claim Norway as his own, uh, and like. Uh, so, so a lot of the chieftains in Norway are at this point very willing to go along with, yeah, he was a saint. Yeah, they said, oh, well, we should fight for this eternal Norwegian king um, and put his infant son on the throne uh, instead of having this bastard Danish king uh, that wants to come here and tax us because uh, he's evil, we have a saint, don't you know? It has nothing to do about we don't like this king and his taxes. Mm. Um, so yeah, they, 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 it was an opportune time politically. And it also has to be said, back then, back then, uh, a bishop could canonize a saint. Uh, like a bishop who had known this person could declare of, uh, upon the, uh, after that person's death that he was a saint. So this bishop I have been following Olaf and stuff uh, declares him a saint. And uh, only like a few years later, uh, that ended because like bishops all over the place were running around like, oh, this guy was the same, this guy was the same. Uh, I saw the Pope, I was like sick and tired of it. So only a few years later, he declared, oh, no, no, all right, stop it, stop it, stop it, all of you. Uh, right, if you, if you say someone is a saint now, you have to send the evidence to me and then I'll canonize the saint. Mm -hmm. So uh, for that reason, Olaf is the only canonized saint in Scandinavia because like the Pope never took up any of the evidence of sainthood uh, on anyone else who were like uh, put up as saints by, by the Scandinavian churches. And is, uh, this, is this battle the very definition that we, at least we Norwegians, think of as the end of the Viking Age? Of course, it didn't end immediately that right after, but is that what we kind of count as the end of the Viking Age? No, 
uh, even as like the the the, uh, the there's a couple of kings after Olaf who is like proper Olaf. The, the, the Viking Age for us doesn't really stop like for almost a century later. Um, uh, but it kind of starts to fade away at this point. It's, it starts. It's fading away at this point. I, and I, but I mean, like the Viking Age as us being a threat against Europe uh, and like anyone else, that dies with Harold Hardrada, the king's brother, uh, at um, uh, Stamford Bridge. Uh, like 33 years later, 36 years later, in 1066, uh, the year of three kings in Britain. So, um, yeah, but when uh, Hardrada dies, he, he's the last, like, proper, he's not the last warrior king, but he's like the last of the Norwegian kings that are like out there and kicking asses and taking names in Europe and like uh, bringing home, like bringing home the treasury of Constantinople for goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, he, he basically showed up in Norway when there was already a king, uh, and he like he had three hundred men with him who was like immensely. Look at what I got. Yeah, like I've got three hundred men in armor with massively weapons, and I've got all this gold. Am I a king or what? And everyone right. was like, yeah, yeah, he's a king. <laughs> I can see it. And here I want to like mention a quick, we actually did an episode on the Varangian Guard. And you can never say that name right for a reason. Yeah, a yeah. few episodes ago. So make sure to check that out. It should, it should be episode 27. So if we do Eastern Roman history on YouTube, it's definitely a good episode. Just a little shout out. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, because... because... If you want to tr raid the treasuries of Constantinople, best part is getting to them to hire you first. Mm. That, that's, first you get them to hire you, and then you raid them from the inside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, no, um, but Olaf is like, he is more myth than man by this point, right? right? And, and uh, it, it is a culmination of like several kings trying to Christian the country. Uh, this, this whole process that had already been going on for almost a century. And just an opportune time of like uh, politics and religion and all of this coming together. And it, it is, it is a, it's a bit weird because it is uh, the beginning of the end for the uh, Ting Loga, where like everything is, the law is decided by farmers at Ting. Uh, and it's now shifted over to the king decides the laws. Um, and it's it slowly, slowly, it, it, it slides that way, all the way up to Magnus Lagerbertha, who is the one finally so I like these are the laws for the country deal with it uh, so um, yeah um, uh, it's um, he's got a lot of although it's not really his fault or like he's doing 
Um, he's got a legacy that is a lot bigger than he was. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, how about what percentage would you say is true about a man? And what, how much do you think yourself personally? Oh, there. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, 30, 20. Something <laughs> like that. Something like that. Yeah. You know, he was a king, right? He, 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 he was. We know he existed for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's too much is written about him for him not to have existed. Um, so, so he was a guy who, who claimed the king of Norway, who was a king of Norway for a time, uh, and uh, who died. Yeah, and um, uh, there, there is the, you know, um, he got his ass kicked, uh, basically. Uh, but he, how, how, how like. The persona in it like is gone because like with, with the other kings you could sort of glean at their personas through the sagas how they behave and stuff but that is very very hard to grasp with Olaf because so much is filtered up in like church propaganda and glorification and things after his death um, which is a bit of a shame, really. It basically feels like we've sort of lost the King Saga uh, by it not really being accurate anymore. It's, um, it's not believable. And because we know so much of it is not believable, it casts everything else in doubt. Right, um, and, and so how much of do you believe? Do, do you believe 20? Do you believe 30? Yes, it's like we don't know, and, and that is a bit sad to be quite we, can for, we can for certain say that the battle happened, we can for certain say that the character managed to exist, but how much of the story is really true? Yeah, and it was like to, to, to what degree was there a battle, right? Because how, how many men did you really have with him? Like, mm -hmm. did you try to sneak into the country? Were it just a couple of hundred men? Like someone says, just tried to say, and like the, the guys meeting, you know, like met him with a thousand men and just wiped him off the table. Um, what was, was he? Uh, some historians say that like, there wasn't really a battle. The battle was like, the, all the things about battle is too epic. Perhaps he was like, there wasn't even a battle. Perhaps he was killed by his own men before there even was a battle and battles dreamed up afterwards. Um, that I don't think happened because like some powerful men were exiled, quite powerful men were exiled uh, for their involvement in the battle during the reign of Olaf's son Magnus. Um, so, so, so few years after the battle, if there hadn't actually been one, uh, if he hadn't been struck in some ways by, by like 
it is described. Uh, but but like the numbers might have been like extremely uh, like and it probably has well, guys. Over exaggerated. Uh, oh yeah, I think one of the sagas is like puts six thousand men versus fourteen thousand, uh, which is like yeah, it, it, it could have happened if you're like absolutely emptied mm-hmm. uh, Norway, which wouldn't happen because it wasn't part of our battle doctrine uh, to, to, to like really empty the, 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 the land of soldiers. Um, so so that, that would be silly. Like most people agree that like the king probably had around two to three thousand men, right? So, so somewhere around that. But do we have any archaeological evidence that there was a battle or do we? No, because of the area it's in. Uh, mudslides uh, has happened in that area several times throughout history uh, that we know of, right? We, we know of like two or three mm. that has gone through that area. So actually finding archaeological evidence of a battle there is... Impossible. But, yeah, basically impossible. Uh, it would have been like, it would, it would have been moved. Um, it moved like miles by now. Um, so the greatest evidence of the location is today in a church. Uh, because the church at Sticklestuff uh, was... Like the, the, it was started built by Olaf's son. And the sagas tell us how Olaf's son went to Stiklestad uh, and he brought Kalvarnison with him to point out where his father died. Uh, and it appears he had a church built there because that church breaks all the rules for where you should place a church. Um, and so... So tell me how it does break the rules. Just really how does, so when you build a church, a church should be visible far away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you should be able to like stand out in a field, turn around and see where the local church is. But you so, can't with this one. You can't with this one because it's down in like um, a, a dump in, in the rear ground there, but basically. Uh, and so they believe that the, uh, the altar room of that rather small medieval church by modern standards, um, the, the altar of it is built above the place where Olaf's son got pointed out. That's where your father died. Um, and then, so, so whether or not that was the actual place his father died, we don't know. That is like, <laughs> it's a place where his son got pointed out, like, that's where your father died, uh, which, you know, may or may not be true. Um, but it, 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 it seems reasonable that that's where he believed it was when he like ordered that church built. So supposedly, where is he supposed to be buried now? Well, um, his bones is to be somewhere in or around Nidorostolmen, 
the uh, Gothic Cathedral in Trondheim. Um, the Gothic Cathedral was built around his bones, his uh, uh, reliquia. It should be its own uh, episode in its own. Oh yeah, the, 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 the whole thing about reliquia and the, the, the churches built around them is an absolutely fascinating tale. Uh, but but they they do uh, they did build the church around it, but the, the, the casket and the body itself was stolen uh, during uh, the war uh, and uh, uh, the Reformation in the end made the the priests and the archbishop hide the the actual reliquary that they because the Danes were coming and they would steal the cast for sure they would steal the you know gold encrusted uh, coffin uh, that the Olaf's reliquary was lying in so they hid the bones the problem is we don't know where because you know everyone who knew been dead for centuries. Mm. Um, not have a TARDIS to time travel with. We don't have a TARDIS. We, we don't <laughs> have a, you know we don't have a souped up uh, DeLorean uh, with one point twenty one gigawatts running through it. Um, and uh, the uh, so so that the, there is a tomb that they they think yeah that the, the, the mythos goes is uh, Olaf's tomb uh, in the catacombs below the cathedral. Um, but this is not open to tourists. Oh yeah, it, it, like, it, in and around any cathedral that's been around for like almost a thousand years, uh, that there's, there are so many dead bodies, there are so many graves. Uh, so, you, you could basically stand on the spire of the cathedral and basically just flip a coin out in a random direction and you have as good as chance as any to that that coin lands on all of us too. It is, we are there. Uh, it, it is absolutely unable to tell which one it is today. Um, which of course, you know, um, it's a shame, uh, I guess, uh, for, just for the historical value of it. Um, although, like, how big a historical value would the bones have? I don't know. Uh, he might have some archaeological evidence of his wounds if they were, mm. you know, well enough kept. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we don't know uh, where we know general vicinity uh, but that's uh, that's as close as you go uh, so that next time you're walking past that particular cathedral you that's might a try, that's a try and you might find the body <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. or you might be just walking over his grave you mm. know uh, <laughs> you know the, you, you might be walking across the grave of your patron saint of your nation how does that feel uh, <laughs> <laughs> So um, no, there, there, there's uh, there, there's there's a lot of myths, um, or uh, what happened 
um, where, where, where did he end up and all of that. But um, there's the whole right Reformation War and uh, Engelbretson, who like where he was hidden and uh, Engelbretson. He might not even be in the church at all. Yeah, that, 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 that's one theory that like Engelbretson let out the the uh, idea that oh yeah we hid this body somewhere around the church totally promised and and ran away with the reliquary mm-hmm. uh, and fled with it and we don't know he he never came back to the country he never managed to uh, gather the army he wanted to return to Norway and bring it back to Catholicism. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, it, it, it's stuck. It will be, I have been Protestant ever since. And um, yeah, uh, we do. Uh, <laughs> so we sort of ended up care, not caring that much where his bones were for mm. quite a long while as And well. it, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of fun to speculate. It's one yeah, of those things is. that's fun to speculate about. Yeah, it is. It is. That's like one of those mythos things. Why would we verify the bones of Olaf? That's kind of... He's a dead man and let him rest in peace. Yeah, like, uh, you, you know, uh, you're, not, you're not about to dig up all the tombs around. Mm. Yeah. You wouldn't think of your grandmother's bones in a yeah, grave. Yeah, you know, like people, so many people are buried there, like bishops and archbishops and monks and priests and uh, like all, all the various rich people and uh, like donors who gave money for the, the cathedrals to be built and stuff. But all of them like buried in and around this like hallow ground. Um, so, so you, you're not going to disturb all those tombs and graves right. ju- just to like the odd chance of finding the one that might have. It's like a needle in a haystack. It is a needle in a haystack, and like at least with a needle in a haystack, you can use a metal detector these days. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it, it is. It is a hopeless struggle to try to find. So. One final question is, what, what is your take from this entire saga and, and the story? Um, well, it's, it, it is the shifting of an age, right? It, it, is the, it is a demonstration, uh, but, but like, it is wrong to say that like Olaf's death shifted it. It is a demonstration that it had already shifted, right? Mm. That the church already had enough power in Norway to canonize the king uh, and make a saint out of him uh, and drive that home as their like their beacon and banner um, means that the church had already gained enough of a foothold here. It had already gained that strength here, um, and. So, so to, to me, it's a, a tipping point. I, I, I believe I this have, changed Norway. Norway's Norway had kind of already, faith. No, Norway had already changed 
this is just the tip of the iceberg. The, yeah, the, 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 this is the capstone. Like the, this is the, the fine moments. Yeah, the, 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 this is the, the cherry on top. That like now the church is out. Like we are here. We are now this powerful. Deal with it. Um, and uh, in addition, you have like the the. Uh, because Olaf in himself, I could probably name five kings that had more to say for the king. Like in the Viking sagas of kings, has more to say for the kingdom uh, than Olaf, including his brother Harold Hardrada. Right, like all that gold he brought back from Norway. Like suddenly made Norway an insanely rich country. Um, and we all know uh, what that went. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, mostly it went out into Europe during the internal civil wars we had, like a century later, or two later. Like we were, we were like having like civil war number seventy two at some point, I believe. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, the whole. Baglers and Birkebeiners, and uh, I think like up to three other factions going at each other at the same time. And there's like, so so all that money basically at some point went to like mercenaries and swords and armor mm. and shit for those wars. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, but but for a short while there we were insanely rich <laughs> like um and uh, it also like uh, made kings like uh, king Eystein, which i do believe like for or norway would be mean uh, you had magnus the good right um <laughs> and here's the unfairness of, of that's the royal sagas, right? Mm. Because if you're the, the, the king who travels around like Norway and Europe in general with your dick hanging out, stabbing everyone you can see in the face, um, they will write you a long and big and glorious song because that's the sort of thing they like, right? They're bound they, to be mentioned in history. Yeah, right. Like killing left and right, and like fighting for everything at the drop of killing, head. raping, pillaging, all the yeah, fun stuff. They, they, they didn't do the raping. That that's historically inaccurate. But uh, no one would have elected a known rapist as king. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the killing and yeah, the pillaging, the killing and the pillaging for sure. Uh, so, so so like uh, skip the rape. Give us extra killing and pillaging, um, and they. they um, but then you have like Magnus the Good. It was like he's crowned as a child, uh, and he he like basically he he governs well. He makes peace with his neighbors, like the king of Sweden and the king of Denmark, and uh, trade flourishes under him. Right. He uses the wealth that his uncle brought into the country to like rebuild like the trade empire. Um, 
I'd put Norway like a cornerstone in the trades of Europe. The trade flourishes. Uh, right. You know, the, the farmers are growing fat under his rule. Uh, and he dies peacefully in his own bed, surrounded by people who love him. And what does that give you? Well, like, probably like three pages in the old sagas. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut it off there. It's been a pleasure to have you on. You're welcome back anytime you wish to. And, uh, and before we go, I just want to give a shout out to Book Boys. If you like bo- books, not boys, well, that too. But if you like books, <laughs> make sure to check out the podcast. A link will be in the description below. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Do you have anything you wish to promote any social media where people can find you? That? No, I, 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 I live in a tent in the forest rather than uh, on the interwebs. <laughs> uh, so uh, and you, when I do crawl into the interwebs, you really do not want to join me on those pages. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, but if you see me at a Viking festival or something, buy me a beer. <laughs> I don't have to do so. Uh, yeah, my name is Alan. This has been that age well. We are available on Spotify, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, well that age well, wherever you can find podcasts. And we are on Instagram and the world that age well. And I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.